The reading is from the sixth book of Judges at the 11th verse. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midians. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the land, into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is in the weakest, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midians, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. The angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Here ends the lesson. Please be seated. Thanks, Carl. Well, good morning and welcome to worship. I'm so glad you could all be here with us this morning. Our scripture reading for today is actually just a small snippet of the Gideon story, which we will look at in the message today. As we move into this message, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles out so you can follow along and better understand those more significant pieces. We will begin in the sixth chapter of Judges, which does begin on page 194 in the Worship Bibles. And Worship Bibles are available on the cards in the back of the room. If you don't have one of those, um, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you're more than welcome to get up at any time and retrieve one of those. And also, if you are a guest and you don't have your own Bible at home, please know that those are available for you to take, and that's our gift for you. So who exactly is Gideon? Well, Gideon was an Israelite judge called by God during a time when the Israelites were being severely oppressed by neighboring tribes. At this point, they had been hiding for about seven years from the Midianites. And when we first meet Gideon, he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't want us to overlook this very important detail. But the very fact that he is threshing wheat in a wine press tells us that this is desperate times. Threshing wheat was usually done on a wooden floor with the treading of cattle and done so in the open air so that the wind could separate the wheat from the shaft. 
But the tribe of Manasseh was under continuous attack by the Midianites and other eastern tribes. They would take their livestock, destroy their crops, pillage any attempt at accumulating wealth that they even had tried to acquire. Threshing of wheat had to be done in the small confines of a wine press and on the bare ground to prevent being heard. They had to preserve what little they had so the Midianites would not destroy and take it. This was indeed a desperate time. So here is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press when the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in the land that belonged to Joash, who was Gideon's father. At this point, the angel of the Lord resembled a traveler who had just come to rest beneath the oak tree to get some shade and refresh himself. He greets Gideon with the phrase, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon self-identified as the lowest of the low. He was being addressed here, however, by the stranger as a mighty warrior. This was giving both us and Gideon an indication of the call that God has on his life to lead the, the people of Israel to freedom once again. Gideon replied to the traveler, the angel of the Lord, with a polite, pardon me, my Lord. Notice this is a lowercase l. He's basically saying, pardon me, sir, which is a polite address for a traveling stranger. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord, capital L, is really here with us in this present age, then why has all this happened? See, although Gideon was very aware of God's saving action in the history of his people, he had a bit trouble reconciling where God was now, that God was with them in this present age because of his own experience with Midianites. The Lord, still seemingly a traveler, now turned to him, actually looked upon him, and gave Gideon a command to go. A couple of more things to point out here. Notice that the traveler is no longer addressed as the angel of the Lord, but is now the Lord. Something with this interaction has changed. Gideon's eyes were opened, and he begins to see the Lord looked upon him graciously with a look that conferred immediate strength and a valid commission to serve God. Go in the strength you have, the Lord said. Save Israel, for is it not I that am sending you? Now this begins to get Gideon's attention. Could this traveler be a divine visitor? Could it be God? So Gideon pushes it a little further. Pardon me, my Lord, still unsure, still using lowercase l, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least among my family. And the Lord answers, I will be with you. Trust me. Now I get Gideon. See, if I were in Gideon's position, I too would be hesitant to accept this entire experience. Because here in this moment, Gideon is trying to come to terms with the very idea that the traveler may not just be a traveler, but that God may be before him, asking him to do extraordinary things beyond his perceived capability and extraordinarily 
difficult times. I might need a bit more proof, too. Verse 17, Gideon, a bit cautious of the signs already in front of him, humbly asked for a more tangible sign. How do I know, Lord, that it is really you? Give me a sign. Then Gideon proceeds to set the boundaries of what that sign might look like. Verse 18, he says, please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering or my present and set it before you. See, I believe Gideon is stalling a bit. This preparation will take time, and he needs to regain a sense of control. And God graciously complies and agrees to wait. Praise God for the patience he shows in all great things. God's patient timing waits for us to conform to his will. Knowing that our faith is weak and understanding that human need for control, he works with our free will, gives us time to process, and he waits. Verse 19, Gideon then prepares the meal. Now this meal was not a meal of sacrifice nor nor just a gift of food but it was more of a sacrificial gift for an honored guest who may, may happen to be God or a God or even the great I am. See, here in this moment, he is both testing God and protecting himself with his offering. The angel of the Lord works with it instructs Gideon to place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock, and then he touched it with the tip of the staff he was holding in his hand. Verse 21, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Fear and awe overtook Gideon as he realized the truth. The traveler was indeed the sovereign Lord. There is no denying the presence of God. See, the wavering faith that asked for a sign now trembles and despairs because a sign was given and now he must act. A very appropriate initial reaction to someone who has just tested God. Assured by God's word of peace, Gideon then goes out to do the first task God calls him to do. Verses 25 through 32, which was to tear down the altar of Baal that Joash, who was Gideon's father, had built. He was to cut down the Asherah pole and build a proper altar to the Lord. And as promised, God protected him against the retaliation of his own people and rose him up as a leader, a judge, a great, mighty warrior among the oppressed clans. Now Gideon, even after experiencing the rich blessings of God, was still a bit weak in faith and needed another sign before he could wage war against his oppressors. See, Gideon, who is now growing in faith, still needs divine assurance. And I get that. See, his clan had turned their back on God and they had begun worshiping Baal and Gideon did not have a personal relationship with God at this point. I understand his need to ask for a sign to receive encouragement and to really understand that this is God talking to him. 
By the second round of testing God, however, he had already experienced God's goodness and faithfulness, but still facing an even larger obstacle, strapped with the fear of the unknown and insecurity over his own abilities, Gideon goes back to God and asks for more signs. Two more, actually. Now, whether this was for the strengthening of his own faith or he needed something of a greater encouragement for his troops, for his soldiers, Gideon asked for another sign because wavering faith ruled the day. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, God already promised he would, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have already said. And that is what happened. And then verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. So he knows he's pushing his, his luck and he knows he is testing God probably too much. But let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Gideon graduates his expectations to a more difficult feat just in case he misread the first sign. Verse 40, that night, God did so. Three times God graciously complied and offered Gideon a sign, and even later, he offered one up freely. Boy, God must have really wanted Israel to be saved, and, or God really just had an immense amount of patience. Or perhaps... He has both. See, because elsewhere in Scripture, we are clearly warned against asking for signs. Deuteronomy 6.16, Luke 4.12, and 1 Corinthians 10.9 points back to numbers. Don't ask for signs. I encourage you to look all those verses up. So why does God perform the requested task? Because God was not going to let Gideon's unbelief derail his plan to save Israel. See, although God had promised to save Israel through Gideon, Gideon is just unwilling to take God at his word. His lack of faith was characterized by his need for signs. He needed something tangible on his terms to believe and trust in God. Gideon's need for signs, reminds me a bit of Bruce Nolan from the 2003 blockbuster movie, Bruce Almighty. Now, for those of you who have not seen this movie, Bruce Nolan, Bruce Nolan is a television reporter who was discontented with about everything in his life. Upon being bypassed for the anchor job, Bruce goes on a bit of a public tirade, ridicules God in an argument with his girlfriend, Grace, and then is endowed with divine powers by God, who is played by Morgan Friedman, because who else could better play God? And Bruce is tested to see if he can do God's job better. Throughout the movie, a homeless man can be seen holding signs that seem to reflect Bruce's current situation, and by the end, we do witness a transformed Bruce. 
Let's take a look at this scene of which Bruce here is reaching his breaking point. Bruce, so lost in his desperation, fails to see the signs that are right in front of him. Seems to me, Bruce, like Gideon is in a desperate place. Have you ever been in that place? Life is not going as planned. You're threshing your wheat by hand. You had your heart set on something like a promotion, but it failed to happen. You feel attacked on every side. Your health, your relationships, your finances, or status. Perhaps you're just scared or frustrated with life or God, and you just lose it. Sometimes, like Bruce and Gideon, we get so caught up in our unmet expectations or selfish wants and desires that we fail to see the good that's right in front of us. Sometimes we become so disillusioned, we are blind to the ways that God is present in our lives and the ways in which he is speaking to us and guiding us. So we ask for a sign. God, please just let me know. Give me something to hold on to. Give me some sort of sign. Give me hope. Conditional faith. A faith which demands signs, especially signs on our terms, is a signal of a weak and immature faith. And chances are, if God gave you one, you wouldn't be convinced anyhow. God has already promised that he is and that he will be with us in all things. He took his son all the way to a cross for us. He rose from the dead for us. And he promised he will return again for us. And we witness this promise throughout Scripture. So if you really need a sign, start by reading Scripture Trust in the Holy Spirit to guide you and pray for wisdom and guidance and open your eyes to the signs that God has gifted you on his terms. God is present in your life. You just have to be willing to let go of your will, your expectations, your desires, and be open to the freedom that comes from knowing God through Jesus and truly seeing what is right in front of you. Now maybe for you, things just aren't that deep. Maybe you simply just have a decision to make between two innocuous things or two really good things, and you're just not sure what to do or what God's will is for your life. So you ask for a sign to help you make a decision. You know, God, if I'm supposed to take this new job, please have the CEO email me in the next 10 minutes. Or God, if I'm to ask that girl out, please let me see a cloud in the shape of a heart in the sky. Silly superstitions and signs we ask for to guide our path and take the responsibility of a decision off of our plate. We lay out our own fleece in front of God and expect him to respond in our terms. But conditional faith is dangerous. 
It's asking God to respond within our confines, and it puts God in a box, and it limits your vision to see the way in which God is active in your life and the ways in which he is letting his presence known to you. See, our spiritual blindness should not limit God's ability to act. We don't need to ask for a sign because God has already given us everything we need and has made himself known to us. He has given us everything to help us make a good decision. The people he has placed in our lives, the circumstances laid out in front of us, our gut instinct and our brains would give us the ability to think things through. And when we are faced with two good choices, he has gifted us the freedom to make that choice. God is good like that. If you want to know if something is from God, if you want to know if it's God's will, if you want help in making a decision or assurance that God is present in your life and walking with you even in your darkest valley, I want to encourage you to do these things. Number one, pray. Pray continuously and always never ceasing. Start by asking God to show his specific will in this situation. Ask for peace and the outcome, wisdom, guidance, and then listen. I mean, really listen. Let go of your limited view and your hoped-for answer and be open to the ways that God is guiding you maybe in some very unexpected ways. And over time, your answer will be made clear. Number two, I encourage you to read Scripture. Ask yourself how Scripture would speak into the situation or this decision. If you really want to know if something is from God, ask if it's scriptural. God is not going to guide you down a path that takes you further away from him. Now, I want to encourage you also to read continuously and always Start reading now. Don't wait for that desperation, that desperate situation to come into your life and then start flipping through the pages as if God is just going to throw something out at your face. Sometimes you are blessed with scripture that, that just comes to you. But true understanding comes by having a relationship with God and his word. Number three, seek wise counsel. Through a trusted friend, a pastor, or a spiritual director who will listen, who will offer sound advice, and will also challenge you. Sit with someone who is not afraid to ask tough questions. Where do you see God in this situation? Or does this opportunity glorify God? Number four, trust in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide and our counselor and one of the primary ways in which God does speak to us. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to guide our questions for practical considerations, for intuition, for felt senses. And finally, be patient. You have to be willing to wait and to trust in God's timing. Because if something is God's will, he will open doors, he will close doors, and he will guide your path. If something is laid on your heart and you're just not sure if it's from God, God will make these things happen. You just have to wait for his timing. So rather than 
asking for signs, we need to practice being aware of God's presence and the will for our lives. We can do that by practicing these steps regularly. Sure, as you begin to practice these things, they begin to characterize your life. You will find greater peace and assurance in your situations and in your decisions. You can be more assured that they are the will of God. My friends, there is no need for a fleece. We just have to open our eyes and see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to seek you in all things. We do want to be in accordance with your will and your plans for our lives, so help us, Lord. Help us to seek your guidance and to trust in the ways you are indeed leading us. Soften our hearts, open our eyes, and help us to let go of our selfish needs so we can experience the true freedom that comes from walking with you in all things. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.